Hey, hey, Cassandra, we're uh, we're about to record. You should sit down. Norman. Get... Y- yes. What do your elf eyes see? Uh, um, our our mics. No, no, you're supposed to say they're taking the podcast to Isengard. We, we've 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 been there all, several times yeah, but already. No, like for reals this time. <laughs> what do you, what do you what do you mean for reals this time? Well, you know the trees and the orcs and the 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 wizard and we're we're taking the podcast. To Isengard. Will there be stupid fat hobbits? Yes. Okay, I'm in. Oh, okay. That was easy. <laughs> I was. I had this whole sales pitch that you know there's potatoes and you, know, you got to boil them, <laughs> mash them, <laughs> stick them in a stew. There, there were also going to be you know some crunchable horses. Um, we're back. <laughs> we have season two. Our yes. continuing coverage of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This time we're talking about Two Towers. Join us on Dueling Genre every Monday through Friday to talk about Lord of the Rings one minute at a time. We're from Lord of the Rings Minute. Leave now and And never come back. No, please come back. (laughs) Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week I am joined by first-time guest Charlie Keeks to discuss Eleanor Shellstrop from the TV show The Good Place. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me. Very glad to have you on. Uh, For any listeners who are unfamiliar, The Good Place tells the story of Eleanor Shellstrop, who wakes up after her death in... The good place, but she is absolutely certain that she is there by mistake. And after we see flashbacks of her life on Earth, we know that she is right. Eleanor is played by Kristen Bell, and we are discussing season one, episode one, Everything is Fine, which was written by Michael Schur and directed by Drew Goddard, as well as season one, episode two, Flying, which was written by Alan Yang and directed by Michael McDonald. Other key characters in the series include Michael, who is played by Ted Danson, Chidi, who is played by William Jackson Harper, Tahani, who is played by Jamila Jamil. Gianyu, played by Manny Jacinto, and Janet, who was played by Darcy Carden. So, Charlie, we uh, were talking about having you on, and I mentioned one possible topic was The Good Place, and you said you wanted to talk about this one. So I assume you are a fan of the series. Is that correct? Yes, I'm a huge fan and just rewatched these uh, two episodes today. So, yes, uh, definitely on this train. When did you discover The Good Place? Definitely after it premiered, I would say maybe a year, year and a half ago, when it went to Netflix, probably. Right. And uh, the first two seasons are on Netflix. So any listeners who are interested, we are going to be keeping this spoiler spoiler free for any events that happen these uh, in these first two episodes. This is definitely a series we may come back to and talk about future seasons um, in a more spoiler-filled discussion. But for today, we're keeping it to just these first two episodes. And I highly suggest that you go and binge the first two seasons uh, that are available on Netflix. And I think season three is available on NBC.com and on Hulu. Uh, this That's uh, right. Oh, 
yeah, and to help with the binging, these are only 13 episode seasons, so you can get through it pretty quick. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best show that is currently being made for television. It's my favorite, and I think it has the best like quality, consistent quality of writing and acting and directing on display, uh, creating one really unique and interesting whole. And so this has my highest praise and recommendation. Yes, I definitely put it in my top three of current shows and definitely my top that would be uh, like more family friendly, good for a general audience. <laughs> so some of my other yes, favorites are too. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and You're the Worst, which are definitely adult audience. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, this one does the uh, cleaner comedy really, really well. So. <laughs> And uh, as part of that, because they are in the good place, they can't swear. So that you get substitutes for swear words in the classic tradition of all adolescents who aren't allowed to swear at home who find um, <laughs> substitute words. Yes, creative euphemisms. They can say with the same well feeling behind them. <laughs> yes, uh, fans of the show definitely use that in uh, our day-to-day life. So <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> Yes, um, and I've heard the cast uh, talk about the fact that they've, they've uh, you know, it's become part of the language of like a shibboleth of fandom is people using those <laughs> substitute swear words to, to be markers <laughs> that I, I, I like you on that show when they're, when they're interacting with the, uh, with the actors who, are, who could be known for, you know, for any number of projects, like to let instantly know, I want to talk to you about The Good Place. They often use those substitute swear words. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I, I think that's that's a brilliant use of it. I uh, was interested in this because uh, there are certain actors and actresses that, for me, are like you get a pass for me to see your your pilot of a new series <laughs> because I'm interested in your work. So is um, Ted Danson one? Uh, Ted Danson is, as well as Kristen Bell and Nathan Fillion is one. You know, so this is some actors and actresses who I've appreciated their work on previous things. Where it's like I, I will at least test the waters of whatever it is that you're doing next. Uh, so I was definitely interested when I saw the combination of talent on this and I was kind of aware of Michael Schur. I've become much more aware of what a force he is in quality television, um, behind the scenes. And if I'd known this was a Michael Schur show and everything I know about Michael Schur now, if I'd known this was a Michael Schur show and with Kristen Bell to dance and I absolutely would have automatically said, this is a season pass. I'm hitting record for every episode on the DVR. Um, I'm I'm like you. This is really his first project that I've watched all the way through. So um, I'm sure fans of his other work um, will be drawn to it. But um, yeah, if you're a newbie, lots there as well. Yeah. And um, as I've uh, well, I guess in the trivia, I'm, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it now. We're, we're jumping, jumping into some of the trivia. There's a really excellent podcast called The Good Place, The Podcast, which releases an episode for every television episode that airs. So uh, they began that in the lead up to season three. They went back and had an episode talking about the pilot and, you know, season one, episode two. Um, and uh, because of that, I would just say, don't go start listening to that podcast until you've watched the first two seasons because they do delve into all the spoilers. Um, but... Uh, that podcast and this is, is one of the few shows I would say don't spoil it for yourself. It's very narratively complex, and I think a lot of the joy is the unexpected twists. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's not like there's like, one big twist. There are twists and twists and twists that come. Correct. Uh, and I, I'm an AV Club junkie. I often spoil TV for myself, but I don't spoil the good place. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um. But that podcast, it's hosted by one of the actors who um, is a side character that shows up periodically, like a recurring character, but not. Is one it of the, the one the main who cast. plays Gunner? No, it's Mark Evan Jackson who plays Sean. 
Ah, okay. <laughs> um, and he hosts it, but he has, like, in the, in the first episode, Mike Schur is on to talk about his thought process in creating the show. Um, and he has all the main cast on, but they also have people like um, the set designer will be on, or the costume cool. designer, and they talk about what their part of the process is, and it is one of the most interesting, like, behind the scenes of what it takes to make a TV show discussions or stories that I've, that I've read or listened to or seen. Um, so I just, like, get a, a greater appreciation of how much work it is to make 22 minutes of television uh, from from every angle. I mean, they even have, because on the show, it's in heaven. Sometimes people like mention animals and then you'll see the animals in the background. They talk to the people who have to get the drafts, you know, and things like that. <laughs> they'll have them on the podcast <laughs> and uh, they'll go in depth on what is involved in a TV show asking for a draft to appear in a scene and that sort of thing. That's really exciting. I already subscribed after I saw your rec. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, a little bit of other trivia. The Good Place premiered in 2016, and it has aired three 13-episode seasons. And I think I saw that it was picked up for its fourth season. So next year, there'll be another 13, excuse me, 13 episodes. Um, That seems to be the amount they want, because this is, um, I've heard it said that the writers get homework for this, because they have to read lots of, uh, like, college philosophy ethical theorists <laughs> in order yes. to write their episodes <laughs> so they, they try and limit it to 13 episodes what was that charlie yes uh in a profile of the show i read in the new york times they're definitely going into what would typically be like a phd level in moral philosophy so <laughs> Yes, and they have um, consulting professors of moral philosophy that are involved in, you know, for bouncing ideas off of and trying to get details right, like to get jokes right They <laughs> about moral philosophers. Yeah, they, I they feel consult. like one of them was, I don't recall the details, but I think it was a woman and she was sort of skeptical. You know, she's just like, I, why is a sitcom producer contacting me? I don't see how this will be relevant. But she became a true believer, of course. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Michael Schur mentioned that he was invited to a uh, like a philosophy conference, like an academic conference, where they were going to be doing a panel discussion about uh, the good place, and uh, someone through. I think the connections with one of the other, one of the, their consulting uh, professors was able to reach out to him and get him to come to see some of the papers presented and to do a Q&A about moral philosophy and, and the good place. And just for our listeners, the show's very, very funny. It's, it's a lot better than the academic conferences I've been to. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you will get fantastic jokes about Immanuel Kant or Aristotle, but then you will also have a fart joke that finishes the scene. That's the kind of like mix that you're going to get on yes. the good place. Highbrow and uh, middle and lowbrow, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're covering a very wide range. Yes, one um, of as- the fan favorite characters comes up in later episodes, uh, Mindy St. Clair. Now when that actress appears in other shows, I will notice that the fan bases are like, it's Mindy St. Clair. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> such a um, uh, meme, sort of, I guess. Yeah, the the characters seem to live in a heightened reality. So I'm sure we'll talk about that. (laughs) Yes, I think that's a good description of this. And just last bit of trivia, as we noted, this was created by Michael Schur, who we talked about a bit in our recent Brooklyn Nine-Nine episode. He is um, a a behind-the-scenes creator who came up through The Office. Like, he was a writer and then I think eventually producer on The Office. And then he was one of the co-creators of the spinoff Parks and Rec. 
and he um, is also working on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and creating The Good Place. So um, he there's a lot of sitcom TV DNA uh, for, I, th- I think, viewers of sitcoms in the last decade is is actually some of that is Michael Shore's voice is di- directing the, the style and tone of a lot of um, modern sitcoms. Even ones that he's not creating are often reacting to what he has done. Agreed. And he's surprisingly young. I remember being really impressed. I don't think he's even 40 yet. But if he Well, is. if you've uh, ever watched The Office, he plays Moe's. Uh, Dwight's brother on The Office. Ah. <laughs> um, or is it cousin? Dwight's cousin. I said brother. I think it's cousin Mose. Uh, so you, you, if you've watched The Office, you've seen him on TV. He has mentioned that he he was never actually a fan of being in front of the camera very much. And so he never wrote any Mose scenes, but other writers took special delight in writing in Mose to do weird things. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just so, so Michael Shear would have to do it. All right. Well, before we move on to the full spoiler synopsis, we want to thank all of you who are listening to this episode. And we also want to thank those of you who support our podcast on Patreon. If you would like to support the show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special monthly quick cast, which we, uh, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about upcoming films or trailers that we've seen or stuff we've got to see in the theaters or new books uh, we're reading or new TV shows we're watching. And we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office game and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for a, for us to discuss. And this is the first episode we're recording after Captain Marvel premiered and Andrew now has a very rather significant lead in the fantasy box office game because producer Andrew had uh, had that pick and that's the first <laughs> major hit of the year. Yeah. All right. Well, here is a spoiler synopsis of the first two episodes. Again, feel free to pause this and just pull it up on Netflix or Hulu uh, or uh, or find someone who has the DVDs and enjoy these episodes. But if you're already familiar, here's a quick reminder of what's going on. Eleanor's eyes open and she's in a fairly mundane office. On the wall are the, word, are the words, welcome, everything is fine, written in a nice green font, a very pleasant green font that you become very familiar with if you watch The Good Place. Michael welcomes her to the good place and explains that she died and is transitioning to her afterlife. He shows Eleanor and hundreds of other people who are in a shared neighborhood. They're going to be experiencing their afterlife together. He shows them an orientation video that explains that on earth, your actions earn you positive or negative points. And if your final total is high enough, you make it to the good place. He welcomes them all and also reveals that soulmates are real and everyone's soulmate is in the good place with them. Eleanor's soulmate is Chidi, a professor of ethics and moral philosophy from Senegal. Eleanor asks Chidi if she can trust him, and he says he would never do anything to hurt her. So then Eleanor tells him that she was not a good person on (laughs) Earth and should not be here. Uh, Michael thinks she was a human rights lawyer, but Eleanor was an alcoholic telemarketer who scammed the elderly into buying supplements that wouldn't actually do anything. Chidi has the first of several debilitating debilitating moral crises as he debates whether he should help Eleanor or turn her in and which one of those is the most ethical thing to do. And he just starts like spouting ethical arguments on both sides. (laughs) Another resident of the place, Tahani, throws a welcome party at her mansion and Tahani's a uh, soulmate is John Yu, a, uh, a Buddhist monk who's taken a vow of silence. So he's just standing near Tahani all the time. At this party, Eleanor gets drunk, steals shrimp, and she says a bunch of nonsense. But in the morning, a storm is raging, and all the nonsense things that Eleanor was saying have become real and are marauding through the good place. Something is messing with the equilibrium of the good place. Eleanor naturally assumes it is her. 
the next day, Michael calls a meeting and he apologizes for how messed up and trashed everything is. But today, uh, those residents of the good place who want to can go flying, which is awesome. As in, like, not going on a plane. Like, because they're in the good place, they can physically go fly through the air. Uh, but Sheedy has decided that he is actually going to try and help Eleanor learn to be a good person. And he volunteers her to help clean up the mess instead of going flying. With much muttering and complaining, Eleanor does this. Chidi also is teaching her moral philosophy, beginning with Immanuel Kant. That night, after everyone is asleep, Eleanor gets up and goes out to finish cleaning up by herself. Chidi comes out and says that since, since she is selflessly doing an act of service when she didn't expect reward, there is hope for her to become a better person. When she goes back to her apartment, Eleanor is trying to study ethics when a note is slipped under her door that reads, You don't belong here. The end of those first two episodes and the beginning of a, a fantastic story again go go binge this whole show it's so good agreed charlie for you when you you said you went back and watched these first two episodes um is there anything that like stands out to you in terms of the storytelling or the creation of these characters like i either one of those two things um as you think about like what it takes to launch a tv show and try to establish a world what stands out in the pilot and the second episode Yes. Uh, one of the first things is that it's really interesting that it aired at a time. I started noticing this trend in about 2015, and it's really accelerated post-2017. But I think as society is reckoning with uh, the role of women in the modern world and how Hollywood has played a really integral role in telling women's stories and as we found out often silencing women's stories i really like how unlikable of a protagonist uh kristen bell's character uh, eleanor shellstrop um is they really really lean into the fact that she's unambiguously a jerk and i think that in many sitcoms they try to sort of soften the edges of complex or uh, unpleasant characters. I think as the show goes, it explains rather than trying to soften. She is straight up a terrible, terrible person. So uh, that's uh, something that jumped out to me. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's important that they have Kristen Bell, who um, Kind of yes. like Bill Murray can play a jerk that you still are kind of fascinated by and don't mind watching <laughs> be a jerk, yes. which I don't think every actor can quite land there. Radiates this charisma that you just want to be around her. But I would say that maybe she had some sit downs with her husband, Dak Shepard, to be like, hey, when you were like in the depth of your like drug use, alcohol use, all of that, what kind of things were you doing? Because Dax, of course, is very open about, you know, he went through some rough times. So maybe that's where she got her inspiration for <laughs> the character. But I agree. It's I think- not uh, grading or off-putting. It's very watchable but she would be your hot mess friend if she was in your friend group (laughs) well and i think the good the show does a good job even in just these two episodes of saying yes this character is unlikable but we're gonna Mm -hmm. see some growth uh like part of the story of the good place is going to be seeing one of the most um seemingly irredeemable people that they could create uh learn through both personal effort and experience and also having a moral philosophy teacher, (laughs) you know, teacher as her soulmate is going to learn 
how to be a better person. And one thing that I do like about the show is that it gets into the issues of her motivations for that. Like it's uh, like Chidi says, I don't know when there's such a clearly self-serving motivation for you to try and act better. If you could actually become a better person, like could your core change when all you're doing is trying to change for your own benefit, not uh, for the benefit of others. Like you want to stay in the good place. You don't want to go to the bad place. You don't want me to tell on you to Michael. Uh, Is that motivation enough? And, And so like it, it immediately acknowledges some of these ethical dilemmas uh, that surround the very premise of the show. And it never runs away from those. It, just, it, it often says, okay, this is the theme of this episode. Is this ethical or moral dilemma? Um, yes. Uh, is a probably bold one of the most memorable episodes, at least for me, was the trolley problem, which I had probably heard in some sort of lecture or sermon. And to see it illustrated so vividly, I, I really recommend bracing yourself for that episode. So yes, that when we say they're grappling with ethical questions, they really lean hard. And so yes, from these two episodes, uh, you can see, as you said, the uh, I really like how on the nose or stripped down it is. Some shows I didn't really get into. There's like weird side characters and plots that get dropped later. But here it's just a very, very well constructed. Uh, I would say like very little fat. Like it's all, you know, the meat of the show. It's very fast paced too. Only, you know, 23 minutes without commercials on Netflix. So, And only 13 episodes in a season. Yet mm-hmm. they... They do a lot. Um, this is both a character heavy, but also and a thematic heavy, but also a plot heavy series. Yes. Um, <laughs> when sometimes, uh, I mean, we we've talked about over two hundred things on this podcast at this point, and some stories are very character oriented, and you stop and like do a plot summary, and you're like, well, not a whole lot is happening here. Some stories, it's like, okay, this one's really digging into these themes, and some stories, are like, this is all about this character, and I think the Good Place actually has a pretty solid blend of those um, those emphases uh, when it comes to storytelling. Yeah, you really notice some of the uh, physical comedy and the interactions on a rewatch. Because the first time, I would say it's very dense. You're just kind of following what's happening. But uh, some of the quirks of the characters and what you come to know about their backstory add another layer of comedy, I think. Yeah, um, and... Uh, I mean, the, the, these two episodes are definitely focused more on Eleanor, who is, you know, the core character. But I mentioned yes. <laughs> uh, the some of the other great characters that we have. Uh, Michael, who is the architect of The Good Place. He's he's the one who designed, uh, you know, this afterlife for these people. Uh, Chidi, who is the uh, ethics professor who gets so caught up in all the moral ramifications of the decision that he can't make one. Uh, Tahani is... How would you describe Tahani? Uh, Tahani is if a super elegant globetrotting influencer became flesh (laughs) (laughs) and uh, you probably can tell from the different names but I think that this show also really nails ethnic and gender and age diversity in a way that doesn't feel unnatural because it's uh in a afterlife, right? And so everyone has their own uh, nationality. For instance, there's a big joke made of the fact that Eleanor can't remember that Chidi's from Senegal. Um, 
And so, yes, him being Senegalese uh, is you know, a core part of his character. And Tahani is uh, British, you know, very like uh, out bourgeois uh, British accent, I suppose, but comes from a Middle Eastern, uh, I believe Pakistani, the same as her uh, real background. And so I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. It seems like something that's very fresh. And I know a lot of um, creators have been and fans have been pushing for this. I've been to a lot of panels on, you know, what can we do about this? But it seems like for this show, they just said, let's do it. Let's make our core cast diverse. So that's something I think that's got a lot of positive feedback. And I yeah, like and it. It's- I, and I love it too. And it's something also that um, they're doing that where they're making this very diverse cast, but they're also like not making the show about that. Where sometimes when you have um, shows that are highlighting the diversity, they do that not just in the casting, but like in the stories that they're choosing to tell and the way they, they, they really want to highlight that, you know, we're, we're making this choice. Yes. Yeah, so I agree. Are... It's more organic to the storyline and the actual good place to give you an idea of the aesthetic. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like Orem, Utah, like the most bland planned out suburban <laughs> area you could possibly have. I, I know you also went to school in Utah. So yeah, it's like, perfectly clean streets you know no, nothing gritty or uh for me i was gonna say um the the main part of the neighborhood that we visit it's like disneyland's main street yes. where <laughs> where this is evoking something but it's not it yeah <laughs> right? i agree wholeheartedly and i think in terms of both costume and set design they brilliantly nailed having a somewhat meta commentary on the very act of TV um, creation, because as we said, Ted Danson's character, Michael, is an architect. He's basically a set designer, I would say, is his uh, profession or role in The Good Place. Yeah, and... um, And he's super excited because he says in the pilot that's like his first big commission project i guess we get a lot more details so i'm just remembering what they established yeah. but yeah that that's kind ted of dancing playing giddy ted dancing <laughs> playing giddy is always good oh my goodness <laughs> he has such an amazing range and the relationship he develops with the uh, ai assistant which is a very different take i've gotten really really fascinated by darcy carden's career i highly recommend oh, yeah. the pod she did with sam jones Oh my goodness. It's it's one of the best I've ever heard. She's a fascinating actress and you know uh, what she's bringing to the part I think really brought some depth to me. But there is a uh, humanoid assistant who is all-knowing uh, and can materialize just about anything they want, right? Mhm. And I feel like there's a lot of um, tropes or like forerunners to the um, Janet character. What do you think? Well, so I I was just listening. I went back and listened to that first episode of The Good Place, the podcast. Mm -hmm. And Michael Schur talked about the fact that Janet was actually the last kind of the last piece of the puzzle Ah. that came in. Um, And at, at first... Uh, they had a kiosk that you would go to and talk to. And it wasn't until like several drafts. So he's like, oh, this works better if it's just a person. <laughs> just 
<laughs> just a person. Cool. Like it wasn't named a Janet. It was just like, there's an information portal that you would go talk to. And then when they, he said when they were reading parts, that one, they did not specify like for um, Tahani, they said, we want uh, a Pakistani uh, British person mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. who is very tall and beautiful and stunning and they and then they're kind of like left a note for the casting director like if you can't find someone who fits that perfectly give us the best version of, of those you know th- that you can and we'll, we'll work with the details but like for chidi like all along they said we want uh you know an african-american um you know this age range mm-hmm. and um but for janet they said they read actors from ages 14 to 70 male female every um race or ethnicity like not there were really no guidelines because they weren't quite sure what they wanted Mm -hmm. um and they very deliberately when they were reading people for this they they did not make any mention of siri or alexa they did not want people channeling um anything like that and eventually they landed on darcy Carden, who i think shines in this role um and i hope that she gets an emmy for this role it's such a especially a season three it's a revira performance for sure it's um so uh the range she has to demonstrate and the um something about it's deadpan but chipper um in this really interesting way i've rarely seen um in sort of robot or sidekick characters yes and and like you're saying like there there are definitely any number of antecedents that you could point to for like the um you know the the robotic type sidekick who is there often as a font of information more so than anything else janet though diverges from that pretty quickly yes (laughs) (laughs) And again, all, so much respect to Darcy Carden and the range that she gets to play with what I could have very quickly become kind of a one note character and the writers and directors and, and Darcy Carden together have created something that absolutely um, defies your expectations when you hear that someone's playing what feels like, uh, you know, a humanoid ver- version of Alexa at the very beginning, uh, mm-hmm. but and ends up wildly divergent from that. Yes, I also read about her classic. It's it's hard to imagine a world without her costume design. It's channeling this sort of like 1966 uh, airline stewardess. I was going to say stewardess is what I think of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so uh, I really enjoy all the costume designs. I think it brings out a lot in the characters. Tahani's uh, looks like she's going to a debutante ball where the theme has gone with the wind at all times so yeah it's uh some fun um juxtapositions uh, where they each uh, are very unique <laughs> yeah uh, oh definitely and one th- um in talking about the the things that work so well about the series uh-huh. um i heard michael sure also say that when he first started thinking of putting a sitcom in the afterlife um, immediately so many of the jokes or ideas or conceits that come up are religious in nature, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and he said the turning point for him in writing the series and finding something that would work is when he moved from religion to ethics. Like this is going to be about moral philosophy, not any particular religion, not which religion is right. There's like really the only acknowledgement of religion that I can remember is at the beginning. He says most religions got some of it right. Yes, Everyone got some. A few <laughs> episodes in, there's a certain Canadian fellow who, um, I believe it was 
Yo, uh, that's in the pilot there's a stoner who yeah, got it right stoner. exactly so shout out to the canadian stoners i suppose but yeah it's very yeah. tongue-in-cheek and having um you know been part of a community where you know the sort of architecture of an afterlife is you know pretty like you know well uh shaped it's not you know sort of like uh oh, we don't know it's like no this is you know a very um real and uh very concrete sort of thing it was really interesting to see you know parallels but obviously like huge differences it feels very lived in and very um I think it would appeal to anyone, but I can see like an, a special appeal to anyone that's really grappled with these questions of, you know, what what makes a meaningful life? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Um, I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, yeah, pretty well informed in sort of the great uh, traditions. Um, uh, but but, yeah, but again, I appreciate it, that they don't like just turn it into like, here's our chance to make fun of certain organized religions yeah, or anything yeah. like that. It I is. Th- I think if it had aired in like say the late 90s, early 2000s, it might have seemed much more smarmy. Oh my goodness, yes, there would be like an angel, and you know, you'd be like, please spare us. But yeah, it doesn't have anything. Just for the record, for your listeners, I would consider myself probably leaning towards atheistic. I see no you know strong evidence so that's that's about where i'm at but i think this show really speaks to yes believers non-believers because it's much more about how do you live a good life now because there's he Uh, intersperses uh flashbacks to um especially uh eleanor's uh life on earth Mm mm-hmm which shout out to the costume design. It uh, spans, I would say, the whole 21st century. And some of the costumes from, you know, 2002, 2007, it's just so, so on point. The hairstyles, just small details that you wouldn't have thought would be too different from now. You really can tell it's in the past. So I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. And um, in digging into some of the moral quandaries that that we mentioned, like the the, the point of the show is like what is going to allow or or lead to the most virtuous life like like the best version of you uh which i think is something that anyone who is be it like you said religious or atheist or whatever i think that's something that you can be invested in is what is the best version of me from a moral perspective and they like uh they they delve into all these different moral philosophies that have existed or the debates that have raged mm-hmm. uh raged in, in moral philosophy about about that um and i chidi is like the embodiment of the fact that there's no real agreement on this <laughs> because yes. he immediately brings into his mind like all the counter arguments that have existed so like even just the question of uh eleanor doesn't belong in the good place what is mm-hmm. the right choice to do right now yes. he says well do i serve you as an individual and help you to become better do i serve the community uh when when it seems like your presence is disrupting the good place would it be better you, you know and, and just immediately he's, he's got these different uh, voices there evolution on my first watch through um was one of the most surprising arcs i'd seen in tv or film i totally thought he was one thing it was going one way and as they reveal his motivations and just who he is as a person it was so pleasantly surprising to see a lot of layers um to his outward persona so yes it's definitely yeah. a good character to you know, kind of get invested in you know, see where it goes with him so um and, and well and i think each of these characters what we get in the pilot actually gives us 
enough of a hook that we become interested in all of them. Mm-hmm. So be it Michael uh, being played by Ted Danson as this kind of frantic and frazzled first time architect who's trying to mm-hmm. build the afterlife the way, uh, you know, he thinks it needs to be uh, and, and seeing that kind of fall apart. And you have Chidi, like we said, this, this ethics professor who, you know, is more of a motivation. It is to make the most moral choice at all times. And mm-hmm. you find out that that, can be um debilitating for him and you have eleanor who is selfishly you know says what her motivation is what can i do to stay here when i know i don't belong uh Mm -hmm. you get tahani who has like you said this um this very this air about her of self-satisfaction but also the undercurrent that you feel almost immediately of the need to be accepted right (laughs) Uh, th- yes, that, uh, and that that mix is really well played big, by Jamila Jamil. Uh, name dropper. So there's a lot of humorous <laughs> moments with her. Uh, she often will use only first names for various, uh, yeah, society <laughs> celebrities. So that's very yes. Fun. <laughs> and uh, I found out. So this is the actress Jamila Jamil. This is her first role. Um, as an actress before this she was yes she was a newscaster i think right well they call her a presenter on the bbc which i i've heard lots of people ask her like what exactly that means and it seems like mostly she interacted with famous people and kind of helped them look good on camera (laughs) seems to be Ah. (laughs) like like she was there on on her career Yes, and, and like the cast always uh, on on that podcast, they make a lot of jokes about the fact that Jamila Jamila is is not as different to Hani in terms of the lifestyle she leads as you might think, <laughs> you might expect. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and John, you in the pilot and the the second episode we have, we don't see a whole lot, but there's a lot coming for Manny Jacinto to be able to play um, as John. You, uh, and we, yes, and we I s- feel I can say very little on him uh, without spoilers. Yeah. Just just keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> but I, I I mean going back to the um the, this almost like alchemical mix of plot design uh, or or uh, uh, of writing from the from uh you know the, the writers room and the plot that, that they're given the set design uh so all the crew that work on the set design and the costume design and the look of this which this show has a very distinct look it doesn't look like other shows on television I, I think if you're flipping through channels there's something about the hues of green that they use and the set design and the angles that they use and the buildings and everything that just immediately says, this is, this is something else. This is something different, which is what it should be when it's set, you know, a, a sitcom set in heaven. Uh, and then these really strong performances from that entire core cast. I, I think they're all, um, you know, bringing something special to this. Uh, and it makes this kind of alchemical mix of something that can grab you right away. Um, and, uh, and make you, become invested in each one of them even though it's like a 22 minute pilot that's focusing on eleanor uh you get enough of a taste of all these other characters uh, and then obviously more information comes through the seasons and they all get episodes that focus a little bit more on them uh, and we come to know them more but i think there's enough even just the first pilot where it's like okay there's something here there's something going on agreed yes circling back to Eleanor, I, I, you know, as, as like the main hook for the show. And as you pointed out, it's a bold move to make the main character of your show. Very unlikable. Yes. Um, what is it exactly? Do you think that makes us become invested in pulling for her? Uh, you know, you, you, the premise of the show is you're in heaven and someone doesn't belong. Why as an audience, do we seem to want to see her progress and evolve? Do you think? 
Yes, I'd say Eleanor as a character has a lot of moxie. She really goes for what she wants. And so on that very, very basic sort of Joseph Campbell hero journey, it definitely feels to me that you are in her shoes. You only know what she knows in the very first moments. Uh, Michael welcomes her to the good place and she says, great, where am I? What's going on? What can you tell me? And so we're dropped in media res, I would say, and uh, throughout the show, but in these two episodes, we know what she knows. And I think that is a device of the writing that pulls you in. There are aspects of the other characters that get revealed throughout the show. But uh, yes, her trying to uh, follow. And also, she reminds me of, you know, maybe your most sort of like id or like adolescent impulses. I, I feel like I've been the person at the bar, like just like grabbing more shrimp <laughs> as she does in one scene. <laughs> um, and so, yes, I think that that's relatable, even though we suppose. Uh, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram, but um, a few months ago, maybe fall, early fall, there was literally one of these um, environmental uh, dudes, you know, with a clipboard um, on the corner of a neighborhood here in Salt Lake in Sugar House. And I just thought of myself when he's like, he said something very similar to saying, like, do you have a time for the environment? And that's uh, what they do a flashback to. And the Eleanor character is just so, um, like, blunt. Uh, you know, watch to see you know, her reaction, but it's very, very in your face, and she's just not, she doesn't have time for his crap. And I thought about that, and I don't know if it's, I think maybe especially as women, we're socialized to be so, um, like, accommodating and agreeable. Like, in the big five personality trait, she's very, very low on agreeableness and <laughs> conscientiousness. I'm like, I kind of love that. There's very, very few, uh, characters but especially female characters it's like no i don't have time for it and like who hasn't you know had some you know uh call or person where they just don't want to deal with it so that's her um at pretty much all times in terms of her earth life but in the uh timeline that we're in in the afterlife she um is definitely very uh she likes to figure out ways to get what she wants. Um, so, yeah, like I said, kind of this verve or moxie of, you know, she's she's clever, right? You, you can tell that she has a different kind of street smarts, whereas Chidi has all the book smarts on his side, maybe. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that makes their pairing really interesting to see. Um, yes, yes. All the pairs that the soulmate concept is really fascinating. I don't know if the first time I watched I... Uh, thought about it as much on this rewatch but uh, it's really interesting that they take a trope that's so typical of you know maybe romantic comedies and just put it in as this very uh, kind of uh, you know just like this is just a fact of this universe this is your soulmate and everyone <laughs> accepts it at least in these first two episodes they're like great cool yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe we're all looking to get off the apps and just like have Ted dance and be like this is your purse we're like cool <laughs> Uh, well, and again, like going back to something about Eleanor and Chidi, uh, 
like I, I like how you described her. Like she is always acting out her worst impulse, right? Like she, yes. there's no concern about ramifications about other people. It is what do I want right now? Be it, um, uh, you know, I, I just want to go drink. And so I'm going to pretend I'm drawing a random name for designated driver. But if it's my name, I'm saying someone else's, uh, or I'm going to sell these, uh, vitamin supplements that are really just chalk, uh, to vulnerable elderly people. Uh, you know, she doesn't care. Like, yes, uh, her, her earth life takes place in Phoenix, Arizona. And I have to say, I am really passionate. You know, one of my, um, uh, goals in life i suppose is to have you know film tv show whatever form it takes but to have it very grounded in the place that i grew up and you know here in utah and it just it feels like arizona it feels like a middle class suburban uh 21st century place like her as she says she's like well i didn't kill anyone but i feel like her vices are the vices of a middle class college educated white woman (laughs) and so it's kind of questioning um this paradigm that someone who is um you know just sort of in the middle of you know maybe an economic and a social spectrum like is that what what does that really mean you know in kind of a global sense right she she is put in as kind of the every woman because i think she's probably the closest to um you know maybe even michael Schur himself yeah i don't know where he's from that'd be interesting but yeah i just love that it does feel like you know she she grew up in some sort of uh featureless suburb and you know this is <laughs> where she is in the afterlife <laughs> yeah um but but then pairing her who is like all action and, and selfish action with uh-huh, Chidi, yes. who is all inaction because he can't decide what the best course for him and others like you know like they are so opposite uh that mm-hmm. it allows for a lot of uh fun interactions and fireworks to happen uh you know be it when he's giving her a lecture or when he's, she feels he's judging whatever action she's about to take <laughs> silent, silent from a distance. But at the same time, then when he is supposed to make a choice and he can't, it drives her so crazy. Yes. And that really develops over the first season, his uh, indecision, mm-hmm. you get hints of it. Um, but that definitely feels like his, uh, biggest uh weakness i suppose yeah yeah definitely um one other thing that i want to make sure that we shouted out mm-hmm. is the uh in terms of uh both set design but also uh their their cgi elements there are so many jokes on this show that don't that that attention isn't drawn to <laughs> um be it when they're when they're walking through uh, the downtown and the good place, every shop name is a pun, and they just walk by them. Uh, and yes, my understanding is there's a writer in the writers' room named Megan Amran who is responsible for most of the puns. Like, oh wow, she goes... she's kind of a Twitter legend. So yeah, yes. go follow her on Twitter. That's that's really cool to know she's involved. I didn't realize that. So yes, well, that. one time she tweeted out a list of all the food name puns that she'd come up with for the good place, and it was like seventy long. <laughs> of restaurant names that were <laughs> that were that were food puns um but then even like in the orientation video uh this, there's screens that are on the television screen for like oh, yeah, two yeah, or yeah. three minutes which is 
uh, when Michael is explaining the point total, uh, you see yes. all these different actions. And if it's red, it's a negative thing. And it says how many negative points you get. And if it's green, it's a positive thing. And you, you see how many positive points you get. So um, things like uh, ending slavery gets you plus 814,292 points. Hosting a Syrian refugee family, I noticed. <laughs> yes, uh, but then things like stealing copper wiring from a decommissioned military base gets you minus 16 points. <laughs> um, or overstating personal connection to a tragedy that has nothing do- to do with you. Uh, <laughs> like every New Yorker who has their story about how close they were to 9-11. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> that sort of situation. That's, that's worth negative 40 points if you do that sort of thing. Um, and yes, there are a lot of Easter eggs. Yes, and those are sprinkled everywhere on this show. And I feel like um, one thing that would reward rewatching is paying close attention to um, like just the sets and, and looking for um, some of those things that... I think a lot of shows would feel the need to draw attention to these jokes. And The Good Place is willing to let dozens of jokes just go by. And if you happen to catch them... That's great. And I think that's um, that's something that is maybe geared more for the internet era, where people who catch these jokes can screen get, grab them and share them on Twitter, and the fan base will have fan sites that discuss every episode. Uh, maybe they're more willing to do that kind of humor because of that, and, and this is just an, a, an evolution of the way audiences are interacting with shows and showrunners being aware of the... the um, you know, the potential for pausing and screen grabbing and all these other things mm-hmm. that wouldn't have existed for TV shows in the eighties, nineties, or even the early two thousands really. Uh, and, and so maybe it's just a natural evolution of this, but I, I think the good place is making a greater use of that than a lot of other shows that I see. Yeah. That tracks for me. It feels very geared towards a uh, streaming environment, which again is how I uh, discovered it. I would say that as a, uh, entertainment watcher. I'm one of these cord cutters to the point that I just don't watch regular TV when I'm around family or something. I'm like, what is a commercial? I just, it's not how I consume television typically. So it's interesting to me to realize like how incredibly popular this is. The Nielsen rating of the pilot was you know, fantastic and it's on NBC. And so I think it's uh, appealing to a pretty broad base, whereas probably some of my other shows that resonate with me are much more niche so yeah that's cool to see you know what levels it's playing at um it's it's interesting to me like you you just said like there's so many shows like there's too much media now right like uh, yes once upon (laughs) a time (laughs) uh people could have been aware of basically everything that was going to air on television when there were three networks right everybody like even if you weren't watching everything you could know what was out there and now there's just so much with all the streaming uh, platforms and even like CBS isn't just CBS anymore. Now you can also pay for CBS All Access for different shows that are spinoffs of the shows from CBS. Uh, you know, and there's just so much uh, entertainment that's out there. And even within that, where uh, you know there are networks with so targeted audiences and and um, you know so many places where creators can take their shows, I think The Good Place is one of the most unique shows, and it's airing on NBC. Um, I think it was. Kirsta, former guest of the show, Kirsta, who said something about like, I want, like, it feels like we should have more shows that are trying something completely new. Um, and, and like, I love shows that build on classic formula. Like the, there's a reason we have so many workplace sitcoms. That's a formula that works. And yet with so many options out there, I feel like we should be seeing more people just saying, I'm going to try this. Who knows if it'll work. It's going to be something completely different. And here we have 
the sitcom that is based in the good place and is built around uh even as there is a lot of variance in the kind of jokes, but is is often built around moral philosophy from like college level moral philosophy. <laughs> and that's going to drive both plots and punchlines. And that's something that I wouldn't have expected to find on, uh, on a network. And it's also something that I wouldn't have expected to have such a broad appeal uh, as it seems to have, and to have found such a dedicated audience. And I think it says a lot about um, people uh, being given the chance to try something new and different, which a lot of networks are scared of. There's often um, a retreat to the comfort and the known and what has worked before. And I think The Good Place is a good example of, let's try something that sounds a little off the wall. I can't imagine how the pitch meeting went. Um, and I'm sure if Michael Schur hadn't had success with NBC with Parks and Rec in the office, I, d- I doubt he would have been given the leeway, <laughs> you know, that he, That's he, what he I'm was thinking, given That I think, you know, when it aired, it was an interesting confluence of what was going on in the world at large. I think people started wrestling with some of these moral questions. I feel like they're in the public sphere more. And yes, Michael Shore seems to be a big, you know, mocker in Hollywood. And so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, kind of younger, fresher showrunners get to take the lead. So many of them seem to be doing very autobiographical, like hour long dramas. So we'll see with, you know, just the different uh, rhythms and you know budget needs of a sitcom, what kind of innovation we'll see. But anyone who loves comedy and good characters should want to see. Yeah, more more deals for everyone involved, actors and the writers' room. So, yeah, and any show which has this is one of my favorite jokes and and punchlines. Uh, I think it's maybe in the third episode, so right after the ones that we gave a little more in depth. Uh, Chidi is giving Eleanor an ethics lesson, and she rolls her eyes at something and just says, "Who died and left Aristotle in charge of ethics?" And Chidi just angrily points at the chalkboard, which has a timeline of moral philosophers, and says, "Plato." And he's putting at Plato, who died, and then Aristotle yes. is the next big, uh, you know, voice voice in ethics. Um, and it's such, I think that's even a cold open joke, right? Like, okay, we're, we're doing a joke mm-hmm. about Aristotle and Plato. And um, this is what we're introducing this episode with. Um, and like you said, there's a, a, one of the most famous episodes is entirely built around the classic trolley problem of there's a switch in the track. And you are the train switch person, you could save uh five people are on the track on one side one person on the track on the other and everyone says well i'd say you know if i've got to do something i'm going to kill the one that versus the five and they say well what if it's your mother on the other side you know is, is the one mm-hmm. uh and, you know they, they start to add layers and they build an entire sitcom episode around exploring the trolley problem uh and all the ramifications of these different choices so there's a a boldness i think to some of the storytelling that's that's fun to see um i don't know if every episode resonates as much as some of their best obviously there's going to be a range of you know within it but i think it drones along at a pretty high up uh high level of execution uh and never have i thought oh this is just a dud of, a dud of an episode maybe they haven't all grabbed me as well as much as the, the trolley episode but the um the, the general level is a step above i think uh most uh, a lot of the sitcoms that i see i agree and as i mentioned i tend more towards the quote unquote kind of golden age of television you know maybe some of your prestige dramas or extremely niche uh shows on smaller networks and so i think it is something that can like the venn diagram of overlap you know if you are just wanting you know like a laugh every week did you watch it um you know just on air did you watch on netflix first Um, i don't know what it would be like to not know 
because I just binged like two seasons. So yeah, no. Um, <laughs> we, I mean, we recorded on DVR, and maybe sometimes we let a couple episodes build up before watching. But pretty much, we were watching when it from the beginning broadcast timeline. Um, and like cool. before season yeah. three, I went back and binged season one and two on Netflix just to like reorient myself because it is only 13 episodes. There's a long gap between seasons, right? Um, yes. <laughs> and, and uh, definitely the rewatch was a very different experience, um, both because, I, you know, you know some of what's coming, but you also start to see, um, because you know what's coming, you start to see how many seeds are planted so early on mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way that from a, someone who's analyzing storytelling is so satisfying to see. We're keeping this discussion fairly spoiler free about some of the twists and turns that happen in the next mm-hmm. 39 episodes that have been there. But <laughs> a lot of that is is laid out in surprising detail uh, from the get go. <laughs> and it's uh, I, I think to study this. I mean, there's multiple ways you could watch this show. You could just sit back and enjoy the sitcom and the characters that are there, and you will get laughs every single episode. You can also become mm-hmm. a bit more informed about moral philosophy and help embed some of the names that maybe you heard in college, but you don't really remember what they were. This is actually going to help embed some of those names and remind you what their positions were in some of these. Uh, but I think from someone who wants to be a student of storytelling and trying to understand uh, the craft of creating a narrative, this is uh, like a masterclass in in uh, blending form and theme and function and also uh, telling long form storytelling uh, in satisfying 22 minute chunks. Yes, very much agreed. Um, I'm actually yeah, really excited to I think I will probably just rewatch from the beginning. As you said, it's <laughs> uh, they move fast um, to lead me into uh I may have begun season three, but I'm certainly not all the way through it. Because as I say, I, I wait for uh, Netflix typically. So, yes, I, I want to, you know, I want to spend more time in this world, basically. You know, he, he created a world you want to, like, marinate in a little bit. <laughs> yes, I think that's a good description. Uh, and, I, again, uh, credit to the set designers and everyone that's involved to help bring this world together. Um, I, I think there's a danger in... Uh, praising Michael Schur as the showrunner to like go auteur theory and say everything's him, but there's so, I mean read the watch the credits. There's so many talented people that have to work together to craft uh, every single episode. Um, and yes, and if I do get into that podcast, do you think it's most enjoyable to watch the episode and then the pod and so forth? Uh, they're actually pretty light on. And they stand alone. Yeah, they they stand alone pretty well. I think you could go and start listening to the podcast. Uh, if you've, I, I would say, wait till you've watched the first two seasons. But once you've watched them, you could go back and just listen to the the pilot episode. They do enough. Uh, if they're going to be acknowledging anything from the pilot specifically, they do enough that uh, to like reorient you to where things are at. But a lot of it turns into just a discussion about like behind the scenes how do uh you know what are the role of um you know the the set uh designer or the location scout like they have one that's like mm-hmm. a really interesting discussion about what location scouts have to do to prep for the three days of filming like how long in advance do they have to be there uh you know what do they have to tell the the camera operators that like because they, they have to design uh you know they have to lay out um, where like the power generators are going to be. So they won't be seen or heard where the cameramen need to stand. Therefore, what angles are they going to be at? What's going to be in the background that we're going to have to warn um, our CGI person to be taking out of the background. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they, 
you don't need to have watched the you know the episode they have the location scout on to really appreciate that discussion. Do they have a you know kind of classic sitcom soundstage in Southern California they're filming? Um, I don't know much about that. The main, uh, the Good Place neighborhood, uh, like the downtown, is mm-hmm. on a Universal lot. Um, I think they said it was actually the lot where they filmed some Spartacus back in the day. <laughs> And ah. <laughs> they built up uh, this downtown, but then uh, they do location shooting um, often at, it turns out, like mansions around L.A. <laughs> that they can rent out <laughs> space from for like uh, Tahani's. So so as part of the good place, they say, uh, you know, everyone has a dwelling that is linked to their ideal taste. And so Eleanor, <laughs> yes. who, who again is there by mistake, uh, she's in a house that has. Uh, is it's very simple, and I think they call it modern Icelandic architecture. But then they also say, yes. "We know you love clowns," so there's pictures of clowns all around, which Eleanor is, of course, horrified by. But she can't say that to Michael because she's trying to pretend this is the perfect house for Eleanor Shellstrop. Uh, and whereas Tahani has this massive mansion where she hosts the the welcoming party, and that was filmed um, at a, at a mansion. So they, they, it's a blend of Universal lot and. Um, location around LA uh, more than like the traditional sound studio because there's uh, when you start to think through it there's not a whole lot of internal uh, you know like this is the set we're always going back to uh, not as much as you, mm-hmm. you you would see in something like you know Cheers or Frasier or The Office where like okay yeah. this is where we always are and there's a and lot of outdoor shooting I too about it and I think I just can't get into some other um, sitcoms I think are multi-camera would be kind of the look that I just it's kind of a turnoff for me this is a single camera mm-hmm. um, show and so there's something about the look that to me just feels more um, contemporary and maybe artistic is you know just a word I would come to so it doesn't feel like I don't know friends or something it feels like the more prestige shows yeah definitely there's like in the history of sitcoms there's a, a transition point in the early 2000s away from those classic three camera or four camera uh soundstage yeah. setups towards uh the single camera but one thing that I think the good place does that's different than even something like the office or rest development is so much of the shooting is actually outside and outdoors okay um and uh you know they they go to um <laughs> uh beach locations for you know for some scenes or or lake locations yes <laughs> um, that reminds me of a uh classic um janet uh, yes. scene of course <laughs> and, and, and they actually do go to those locations um for for a lot of those well everyone who thinks that uh california is their personal heaven or hell you know is getting a shout out uh, by watching the show then. <laughs> yes. Well, Charlie, do you have any final thoughts on The Good Place or Eleanor Shellstrop before we uh, wrap up this episode? My only final thought would be that I hope it continues, but it feels like a pretty self-contained story. I don't feel like it needs to go on for like 10, 11 seasons. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they wrap after maybe five or six. What do you think? Have they announced that? Or um, They've never they? said, uh, you know, this mm-hmm. is the end that we have in mind. But clearly, uh, you know, they, they break each season pretty extensively. Like yeah. before. It's so tightly plotted. Yeah. Before the plot for or, or, you know, before episode one is going on air, they know what episode 13 is going to be uh which is not like sometimes there's just really broad strokes of like okay this is kind of where we're gonna go you know in writer's rooms this one is clearly very (laughs) tightly orchestrated um and when writers are are given you know the episode that they're gonna be the point person on writing they know the exact outline that this needs to fit into um 
as they're um, you know they're they're crafting it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if at least Michael Schur has like okay, this is the six year plan of where we're gonna get uh, you know what what we're gonna do or or something like that. Uh, but that's never been announced, um, and certainly the cast still seems very excited every time a new season gets picked up by NBC. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, definitely watch it so that NBC executives make their there was, millions and so, sign off on. So more. this isn't a spoiler <laughs> about anything, but uh, they're they were talking uh, on the podcast. They talked about the table read for the finale of season three, and I won't say anything of the plot. But they said there was an NBC exec in the room, and they said um, some of the cast got emotional during you know reading uh, the table read of this this the first time the episode has been fully scripted. Uh, and they said uh-huh. they saw the NBC exec also get a little choked up and a little emotional about some of the, some of the things that happened. And uh, after the table read, the NBC exec said like, thank you for making such a, a unique and special show that speaks uh, to audiences in a way that nothing else on television does right now. And they said um, it was, uh, I think it was, um, Oh, the guy who plays Sean, the, the host of the podcast, Mark Evan uh, Jackson. He said, uh, Ted Danson leaned over to him and said, that just got a season four. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good note to end on i think yeah that uh, oh and uh i think i i know this was in a conversation with kirsta she was talking about listening to that um that podcast and it makes you realize uh that you think an actor on uh you know a sitcom has made it but you really start to appreciate these are just working actors like the, these are working actors who are so grateful to be on a show that's giving them regular work but they're also still like looking for other projects all the time and the same with like the behind these people uh you know having a show on the air doesn't mean you're set for life by any means these are uh, working individuals who are are very grateful to be on what they feel is a special show but also they're just glad to be on a show <laughs> um, and I, I think it gives you a great appreciation yes, i was really uh, impressed with Darcy Carden's take on that. She's like, yeah, this is an amazing, completely unanticipated blip and I could go back to being completely unrecognizable. And yeah, I think my favorite um, of her many jobs was she did this really weird tour cruise or bus or something in New York. It just sounded, you know, like a complete joke, but she was just happy to, you know, have something that drew on her acting background and how ridiculous it was. So yeah, I, I think it was really encouraging actually to like not give up on your creative aspirations because mm-hmm. she was in her pretty late thirties, you know, when she got the role and had been doing just a lot of improv, you know, a lot of, uh, not uh, lead roles for sure. So she's really a breakout star that I hope, you know, she, I'd love to see her in a lead role. Like, seriously, if there were a show, it's like, all I knew was like, Darcy Carton's the lead. I'd be like, I'm in. (laughs) She's getting that pass for you of like, I will always look at what you're doing next. You have my interest. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Okay. So I said, uh, you know, having a show on TV doesn't mean like you're set. Ted Danson is set from Cheers, right? Like that thing is still running a synd- <laughs> yes. syndication. Uh, he's still getting those checks coming his way. And one of my favorite moments on uh, The Good Place, the podcast was um, he was talking about that. He was he thought he was done with sitcoms. Like, you know, he did Cheers. He did Becker after he tried a couple of things. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just didn't. I've seen him in like Sundance. Yeah. You know, like he was doing independent films. films. Like weird indies. Yeah. And, and he was he was talking with Mark Evan Jackson on the podcast. He's like, you know, uh, you know, I, I did some sitcom 
and he's like, I can't even remember the name of it. It, it aired like five episodes. You, and then he says, to Mark Evan Jackson, you know how it is when you're a working actor. And Mark Evan Jackson says, whoa, you and I are on very different levels. I've never forgotten the name of any project I've been involved in, much less the lead up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but but uh, and like all the other actors when they talk on the on the on the podcast they have like such reverence for Ted Danson because he is uh, like a sitcom legend and but one thing that's so heartwarming is all the stories seem to be about what a great guy he is and how wonderful it is to work with him uh, on the good place and uh, it, it is an interesting mix of these newcomers who like this is their very first network show and then you have um, mm-hmm. Ted Danson who is one of the legends Veronica of sitcom Mars. and also <laughs> Veronica Mars, you know, um, yeah, yeah Veronica Mars and, and, uh, um, Kristen Bell has anchored other shows as well. Uh, you know, and been in movies and everything. And so there's just this great mix of experience and somehow it all works and fits together into a really satisfying puzzle to, to watch on screen. Yes. <laughs> well, Charlie, uh, we always like to ask our first time guests. Do you think? Oh. Do you think watching it makes you a better person? I, I think it could possibly make me a better person. Yeah, you know, just um, I, wrestling I, with these issues. <laughs> I, I think um, Mark Evan Jackson said it best, where he's like, "I don't know that this has like changed my moral philosophy, but it has made me start to think about like the point system and like a choice I'm going to make. Like, is this a positive choice or a negative choice?" <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's like, "I I know there's." no point system you know in heaven but just watching the show but it does make him think like mm, i should pick up that trash that missed the trash can and fell to the side of the trash can <laughs> like that's the right choice right here uh, you just become a little Indeed. more aware of some of those you know small actions mm-hmm. um but i was saying charlie we like to ask our first time guests uh the dinner guest question which is if you could host uh a dinner with any four or five fictional characters who would you want to have? This is a podcast about great characters and great stories. So who are some of the great characters that you'd be most interested in hanging out with for a dinner party? Yes. So my must invite is a character that I've been uh, compared to in my outlook. And I think one of the classic characters, Emma Bovary of Madame Bovary. Um, I know that she would definitely, I'd have her help plan the whole event uh, soup to nuts you know she's <laughs> someone who always seeking um you know the finest things in life and since so she feels so deeply and you know we'd probably stir up drama with the other guests so she's a must um invite for sure <laughs> um and yes she's probably mm, gun to my head favorite character um in fiction well if you have one of those um, you should definitely invite them to this party right <laughs> Definitely, yes. Uh, yeah, we can uh, be be besties. Um, one that comes to mind, so I'm a huge Scott Fitzgerald fan. I've read pretty much everything he's read. And I think one of his best developed characters is from his last uh, unfinished, but uh, you know, later pub- posthumously published novel, uh, Monroe Starr, who is based on a lot of the real... Um, uh, executive like studio executives like Irving Talberg and I just think Monroe Starr is this like fascinating character you know he's speaking of this whole episode about like creative people that like clearly can like keep so many uh, irons in the fire I was you know rereading little excerpts from The Love of the Last Tycoon is the name of the uh, novel 
And he just has some really interesting quips. And one of my favorites is he's like, oh, you writers, I wear my heart where it's meant to be um, on the inside, like not wearing your heart on your sleeve. So I think having someone like that, and just, you know, as I'm trying to break into my own writing for film career, having you know one of the um, classic Hollywood uh, characters got to invite him. I haven't actually uh, read that Fitzgerald novel, but now I'm more intrigued and we'll try and get to it. Yes, and I was not super excited about their treatment um, when Amazon was doing a lot of pilots that they, they then um, promptly canceled. Uh, that was one of them. And uh, so, yes, if you want to see it in a, a screen version, I know there's been a couple filmed versions. Um, and then that uh, series, but I think Fitzgerald really shines as a novelist. Um, speaking of films, I was trying to think of, you know, just my favorite movies, you know, what are characters. So I'm a big stan of Amy Adams. So I think my favorite role of hers is Dr. Louise Banks. And so, yeah, we could, yeah, kind of geek out on linguistics and it just feels like such a lived in, like real role. Uh, that's um, her character so, in Arrival, right? Correct. Yes. So, um, I just... I like hanging around uh, cool, ambitious women. So definitely got to have her. And then I mentioned another show I'm a fan of, You're the Worst. And all of those characters are just so well uh, developed. And so to have another sort of um, anti-heroine who has some uh, similarities, I would say, to Eleanor Shellstrop, definitely would have to invent gr invite Gretchen to the party so and how about throw in for the last guest uh, I really like villains and antagonists so maybe the um, uh, main uh, antagonist of uh, Count of Monte Cristo but how about from the 2002 film because he's played by Guy Pierce. <laughs> Hernan Mondego is very very hot so he has to come. So you want to play by Guy so, Pierce, um, Attractive. <laughs> Uh, yes, specific. That's headcanon for me. <laughs> so yeah, I would. Yeah, you know, I considering kind of the um, uh, time period. You know, we have here. I'm picturing like a very like sort of you know black tie, elegant spread, plenty of champagne flowing. You know, just kind of <laughs> see if, what unfolds in this party. <laughs> if Madame Bovary is uh, you know preparing the party, I think you're. That's what you're going to get. It's true, and um, I'll probably be stuck with the bill as well, so that'll be a pleasant <laughs> surprise. <laughs> All right, well, that would be a very eclectic dinner party. We always get such great mixes <laughs> of characters when we ask this question. Uh, that's why, why uh, Excellent. we kind of did it on a whim with our first guest, and it quickly became like, oh, every guest has to answer this. I like it. Well, thank you, Charlie, for joining us. That's going to wrap up this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. Uh, I mean, I would say please leave us a positive review. Uh, that That's what helps us out. 
We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. And if you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go back and check out episode number 59, when we talked about Veronica Mars, or episode number 218, when we talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And we enjoy our conversations there with our listeners. And we'd love for you to say hello anytime. Charlie, do you have anything you want to plug? Any any projects or social media or anything at all? Yes. Um, if you want to check out my work, I'm at Charlie Writes. That's C-H-A-R-L-Y Writes dot com so you can get in touch with me there and as links to all my uh, projects and social channels excellent and thank you again for joining us charlie as our guest and thank you listeners uh, if you would like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thanks for listening we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long Eleanor's eyes open, and she is in a fairly mundane office, but on the wall are the words... Oh, I bumped my mic. I'm going to give Andrew an edit point, because that's never a good sound to hear.